Chapter Six, Part Two of the Eight Strokes of the Clock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lenny. The Eight Strokes of the Clock by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Six, Part Two. He was shown into a large study furnished with magnificent bookcases containing old volumes in costly bindings. Monsieur de Lourtier Vanot was a man still in the prime of life, wearing a slightly grizzled beard, and, by his affable manners and genuine distinction, commanding confidence and liking. Monsieur de Lourtier, said Renin, I have ventured to call on your excellency, because I read in last year's newspapers that you used to know one of the victims of the lady with the hatchet, Honorine Vernisset. Wow, of course I knew her, cried Monsieur de Lourtier. My wife used to employ her as a dressmaker by the day. Poor girl. Monsieur de Lourtier, a lady of my acquaintance has disappeared, as the other six victims disappeared. What? exclaimed Monsieur de Lourtier, with a start. But I have followed the newspapers carefully. There was nothing on the 18th of October. Yes, a woman of whom I am very fond, Madame Hortense Daniel, was abducted on the 17th of October. And this is the 22nd. Yes, and the murder will be committed on the 24th. Horrible, horrible. It must be prevented at all costs. And I shall perhaps succeed in preventing it, with your excellency's assistance. But have you been to the police? No. We are faced by mysteries which are, so to speak, absolute and compact, which offer no gap through which the keenest eyes can see, and which it is useless to hope to clear up by ordinary methods, such as inspection of the scenes of the crimes, police inquiries, searching for fingerprints, and so on. As none of those proceedings served any good purpose in the previous cases, it would be waste of time to resort to them in a seventh similar case. An enemy who displays such skill and subtlety would not leave behind her any of those clumsy traces which are the first things that a professional detective seizes upon. Then what have you done? Before taking any action, I have reflected. I gave four days to thinking the matter over. Monsieur de Lourtier Vanot examined his visitor closely, and, with a touch of irony, asked, And the result of your meditations? To begin with, said Renin, refusing to be put out of countenance, I have submitted all these cases to a comprehensive survey, which hitherto no one else had done. This enabled me to discover their general meaning, to put aside all the tangle of embarrassing theories, and, since no one was able to agree as to the motives of all this filthy business, to attribute it to the only class of persons capable of it. That is to say, lunatics, Your Excellency. Monsieur de Lourtier Vanot started. Lunatics? What an idea! Monsieur de Lourtier, the woman known as the lady with the hatchet, is a madwoman. But she would be locked up. We don't know that she is not. We don't know that she is not one of those half-mad people, apparently harmless, who are watched so slightly that they have full scope to indulge their little manias, their wild-beast instincts. Nothing could be more treacherous than these creatures. Nothing could be more crafty, more patient, more persistent, more dangerous, and at the same time more absurd and more logical, more slovenly and more methodical. All these epithets, Monsieur de Lourtier, may be applied to the doings of the lady with the hatchet. The obsession of an idea and the continual repetition of an act are characteristics of the maniac. I do not yet know the idea by which the lady with the hatchet is obsessed, 
but I do know the act that results from it, and it is always the same. The victim is bound with precisely similar ropes. She is killed after the same number of days. She is struck by an identical blow, with the same instrument, in the same place, the middle of the forehead, producing an absolutely vertical wound. An ordinary murderer displays some variety. His trembling hand swerves aside and strikes Ori. The lady with the hatchet does not tremble. It is as though she had taken measurements, and the edge of her weapon does not swerve by a hair's breadth. Need I give you any further proofs or examine all the other details with you? Surely not. You now possess the key to the riddle, and you know as I do that only a lunatic can behave in this way, stupidly, savagely, mechanically, like a striking clock or the blade of the guillotine. Monsieur de Lourtier Vanot nodded his head. Yes, that is so. One can see the whole affair from that angle, and I am beginning to believe that this is how one ought to see it. But if we admit that this madwoman has the sort of mathematical logic which governed the murders of the six victims, I see no connections between the victims themselves. She struck at random. Why this victim rather than that? Ah, said Renin, your excellency is asking me a question which I asked myself from the first moment, the question which sums up the whole problem and which cost me so much trouble to solve. Why Hortense Daniel rather than another? Among two millions of women who might have been selected, why Hortense? Why little Vernisset? Why Miss Williamson? If the affair is such as I conceived it, as a whole, that is to say, based upon the blind and fantastic logic of a madwoman, a choice was inevitably exercised. Now, in what did that choice consist? What was the quality, or the defect, or the sign needed to induce the lady with the hatchet to strike? In a word, if she chose, and she must have chosen, what directed her choice? Have you found the answer? Renin paused and replied. Yes, Your Excellency, I have. And I could have found it at the very outset, since all that I had to do was to make a careful examination of the list of victims. But these flashes of truth are never kindled, save in a brain overstimulated by effort and reflection. I stared at the list twenty times over, before that little detail took a definite shape. I don't follow you, said Monsieur de Lourtier Vanot. Monsieur de Lourtier, it may be noted that, if a number of persons are brought together in any transaction, or crime, or public scandal, or what not, they are almost invariably described in the same way. On this occasion, the newspapers never mention anything more than their surnames, in speaking of Madame Ladoux, Mademoiselle Ardin, or Mademoiselle Covreau. On the other hand, Mademoiselle Vernisset and Miss Williamson were always described by their Christian names, as well, Honorine and Hermione. If the same thing had been done in the case of all the six victims, there would have been no mystery. Why not? Because we should at once have realized the relation existing between the six unfortunate women, as I myself suddenly realized it on comparing those two Christian names with that of Hortense Daniel. You understand now, don't you? You see the three Christian names before your eyes. Monsieur de Lourtier-Vanot seemed to be perturbed. Turning a little pale, he said, What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, continued Renin in a clear voice, sounding each syllable separately, I mean that you see before your eyes three Christian names, which all three begin with the same initial, and which all three, by a remarkable coincidence, consist of the same number of letters, as you may prove. If you enquire at the Courbevoie laundry, 
where Mademoiselle Couvreau used to work, you will find that her name was Hilary. Here again, we have the same initial and the same number of letters. There's no need to seek any farther. We are sure, are we not, that the Christian names of all the victims offer the same peculiarities? And this gives us, with absolute certainty, the key to the problem which was set us. It explains the madwoman's choice. We now know the connection between the unfortunate victims. There can be no mistake about it. It's that, and nothing else. And how this method of choosing confirms my theory. What proof of madness! Why kill these women rather than any others? Because their names begin with an H, and consists of eight letters. You understand me, Monsieur de Lourtier, do you not? The number of letters is eight. The initial letter is the eighth letter of the alphabet, and the word, wit, eight, begins with an H. Always the letter H, and the implement used to commit the crime was a hatchet. Is your excellency prepared to tell me that the lady with the hatchet is not a madwoman? Hanin interrupted himself and went up to Monsieur de Lourtier-Vanot. What's the matter, your excellency? Are you unwell? No, no, said Monsieur de Lourtier, with the perspiration streaming down his forehead. No, but all this story is so upsetting. Only think, I knew one of the victims, and then... Renin took a water-bottle and tumbler from a small table, filled the glass, and handed it to Monsieur de Lourtier, who sipped a few mouthfuls from it, and then, pulling himself together, continued, in a voice which he strove to make firmer than it had been. Very well. We'll admit your supposition. Even so, it is necessary that it should lead to tangible results. What have you done? This morning I published in all the newspapers an advertisement worded as follows. Excellent cook six situation. Right before 5 p.m. to Hermini, Boulevard Rosman, etc. You continue to follow me, don't you, Monsieur de Lourtier? Christian names, beginning with an H and consisting of eight letters, are extremely rare and are all rather out of date. Hermini, Hilary, Hermione. Well, these Christian names, for reasons which I do not understand, are essential to the madwoman. She cannot do without them. To find women bearing one of these Christian names, and for this purpose only, she summons up all her remaining powers of reason, discernment, reflection, and intelligence. She hunts about. She asks questions. She lies in wait. She reads newspapers, which she hardly understands, but in which certain details, certain capital letters, catch her eye. And consequently, I did not doubt for a second that this name of Hermini, printed in large type, would attract her attention and that she would be caught today in the trap of my advertisement. Did she write? asked Monsieur de Lourtier-Vanot anxiously. Several ladies, Renin continued, wrote the letters which are usual in such cases, to offer a home to the so-called Hermini. But I received an express letter which struck me as interesting. From whom? Read it, Monsieur de Lourtier. Monsieur de Lourtier-Vanot snatched the sheet from Renin's hands and cast a glance at the signature. His first movement was one of surprise, as though he had expected something different. Then he gave a long, loud laugh of something like joy and relief. Why do you laugh, Monsieur de Lourtier? You seem pleased. Pleased? No. But this letter is signed by my wife. And you were afraid of finding something else? Oh, no. But since it's my wife... He did not finish his sentence, and said to Renin, Come this way. He led him through a passage to a little drawing-room, where a fair-haired lady, with a happy and tender expression on her comely face, was sitting in the midst of three children and helping them with their lessons. She rose. 
Monsieur de Lourtier briefly presented his visitor and asked his wife, Suzanne, is this express message from you? To Mademoiselle Hermini, Boulevard Haussmann? Yes, she said. I sent it. As you know, our parlour-maid's leaving, and I'm looking out for a new one. Renin interrupted her. Excuse me, madam. Just one question. Where did you get the woman's address? She flushed. Her husband insisted. Tell us, Suzanne, who gave you the address? I was rung up. By whom? She hesitated and then said, Your old nurse. Felicienne? Yes. Monsieur de Lourtier cut short the conversation, and, without permitting Renin to ask any more questions, took him back to the study. You see, monsieur, that nomadic letter came from a quite natural source. Felicienne, my old nurse, who lives not far from Paris on an allowance which I make her, read your advertisement, and told Madame de Lourtier of it. For, after all, he added, laughing, I don't suppose that you suspect my wife of being the lady with the hatchet. No. Then the incident is closed, at least on my side. I have done what I could. I have listened to your arguments, and I am very sorry that I can be of no more use to you. He drank another glass of water and sat down. His face was distorted. Renin looked at him for a few seconds, as a man will look at a failing adversary, who has only to receive the knockout blow, and, sitting down beside him, suddenly gripped his arm. Your Excellency, if you do not speak, Hortense Daniel will be the seventh victim. I have nothing to say, monsieur. What do you think I know? The truth. My explanations have made it plain to you. Your distress, your terror are positive proofs. But after all, monsieur, if I knew, why should I be silent? For fear of scandal. There is in your life, so a profound intuition assures me, something that you are constrained to hide. The truth about this monstrous tragedy, which suddenly flashed upon you, this truth, if it were known, would spell dishonor to you, disgrace, and you are shrinking from your duty. Monsieur de Lourtier did not reply. Renin leaned over him, and looking him in the eyes, whispered, There will be no scandal. I shall be the only person in the world to know what has happened. And I am as much interested as yourself in not attracting attention, because I love Hortense Daniel, and do not wish her name to be mixed up in your horrible story. They remained face to face during a long interval. Renin's expression was harsh and unyielding. Monsieur de Lourtier felt that nothing would bend him if the necessary words remained unspoken, but he could not bring himself to utter them. "'You are mistaken,' he said. "'You think you have seen things that don't exist.' Renin received a sudden and terrifying conviction that, if this man took refuge in a stolid silence, there was no hope for Hortense Daniel. And he was so much infuriated by the thought that the key to the riddle lay there, within the reach of his hand, that he clutched Monsieur de Lourtier by the throat and forced him backwards. I'll have no more lies. A woman's life is at stake. Speak, and speak at once. If not... Monsieur de Lourtier had no strength left in him. All resistance was impossible. It was not that Renin's attack alarmed him, or that he was yielding to this act of violence, but he felt crushed by that indomitable will, which seemed to admit no obstacle, and he stammered. You are right. It is my duty to tell everything, whatever comes of it. Nothing will come of it, I pledge my word, on condition that you save Hortense Daniel. A moment's hesitation may undo us all. Speak! No details, but the actual facts. Madame de Lourtier is not my wife. The only woman who has the right to bear my name is one whom I married when I was a young colonial official. 
She was a rather eccentric woman, of feeble mentality, and incredibly subject to impulses that amounted to monomania. We had two children, twins, whom she worshipped and in whose company she would no doubt have recovered her mental balance and moral health, when, by a stupid accident, a passing carriage, they were killed before her eyes. The poor thing went mad, with the silent, secretive madness which you imagined. Some time afterwards, when I was appointed to an Algerian station, I brought her to France and put her in the charge of a worthy creature who had nursed me and brought me up. Two years later, I made the acquaintance of the woman who was to become the joy of my life. You saw her just now. She is the mother of my children, and she passes as my wife. Are we to sacrifice her? Is our whole existence to be shipwrecked in horror, and must our name be coupled with this tragedy of madness and blood? Heinin thought for a moment and asked, What is the other one's name? Hermans. Hermans. Still that initial, still those eight letters. That was what made me realize everything just now, said Monsieur de Lourtier. When you compare the different names, I at once reflected that my unhappy wife was called Hermans, and that she was mad, and all the proofs leapt to my mind. But though we understand the selection of the victims, how are we to explain the murders? What are the symptoms of her madness? Does she suffer at all? She does not suffer very much at present, but she has suffered in the past, the most terrible suffering that you can imagine. Since the moment when her two children were run over before her eyes, night and day she had the horrible spectacle of their death before her eyes, without a moment's interruption, for she never slept for a single second. Think of the torture of it. To see her children dying through all the hours of the long day, and all the hours of the interminable night. Nevertheless, Hanin objected, it is not to drive away that picture that she commits murder? Yes, possibly, said Monsieur de Lourtier thoughtfully, to drive it away by sleep. I don't understand. You don't understand, because we are talking of a madwoman, and because all that happens in that disordered brain is necessarily incoherent and abnormal. Obviously. But all the same, is your supposition based on facts that justify it? Yes, on facts which I had, in a way, overlooked, but which today assume their true significance. The first of these facts dates a few years back, to a morning when my old nurse for the first time found Hermann's fast asleep. Now, she was holding her hands clutched around a puppy, which she had strangled, and the same thing was repeated on three other occasions. And she slept. Yes, each time she slept, a sleep which lasted for several nights. And what conclusion did you draw? I concluded that the relaxation of the nerves provoked by taking life exhausted her and predisposed her for sleep. Renin shuddered. That's it. There's not a doubt of it. The taking life, the effort of killing, makes her sleep. And she began with women, what had served her so well with animals. All her madness has become concentrated on that one point. She kills them to rob them of their sleep. She wanted sleep, and she steals the sleep of others. That's it, isn't it? For the past two years she has been sleeping. For the past two years she has been sleeping, stammered Monsieur de Lourtier. Henin gripped him by the shoulder. And it never occurred to you that her madness might go farther, that she would stop at nothing to win the blessing of sleep? Let us make haste, Monsieur. All this is horrible. They were both making for the door, but Monsieur de Lourtier hesitated. The telephone bell was ringing. It's from there, he said. From there? Yes. My old nurse gives me the news at the same time every day. He unhooked the receivers and handed one to Renin, 
who whispered in his ear the questions which he was to put. "'Is that you, Felicien? How is she?' "'Not so bad, sir. Is she sleeping well?' "'Not very well lately. Last night, indeed, she never closed her eyes. So she's very gloomy just now.' "'What is she doing at the moment?' "'She's in her room.' Go to her, Felicien, and don't leave her. I can't. She's locked herself in. You must, Felicien. Break open the door. I'm coming straight on. Hello? Hello? Oh, damnation, they've cut us off. Without a word, the two men left the flat and ran down to the avenue. Renin hustled Monsieur de Lourtier into the car. What address? Ville d'Avray. Of course, in the very center of her operations, like a spider in the middle of her web. Oh, the shame of it. He was profoundly agitated. He saw the whole adventure in its monstrous reality. Yes, she kills them to steal their sleep, as she used to kill the animals. It is the same obsession, but complicated by a whole array of utterly incomprehensible practices and superstitions. She evidently fancies that the similarity of the Christian names to her own is indispensable, and that she will not sleep unless her victim is an Hortense or an Honorine. It's a madwoman's argument. Its logic escapes us, and we know nothing of its origin. But we can't get away from it. She has to hunt and has to find, and she finds and carries off her prey beforehand, and watches over it for the appointed number of days, until the moment when, crazily, through the hole which she digs with a hatchet in the middle of the school, she absorbs the sleep which stupefies her and grants her oblivion for a given period. And here again we see absurdity and madness. Why does she fix that period at so many days? Why should a victim ensure her a hundred and twenty days of sleep, and another a hundred and twenty-five? What insanity! The calculation is mysterious and, of course, mad, but the fact remains that, at the end of a hundred or a hundred and twenty-five days, as the case may be, a fresh victim is sacrificed. And there have been six already, and the seventh is awaiting her turn. Ah, monsieur, what a terrible responsibility for you! Such a monster as that! She should never have been allowed out of sight! Monsieur de Lourtier-Vanneau made no protest. His air of dejection, his pallor, his trembling hands— all proved his remorse and his despair. She deceived me, he murmured. She was outwardly so quiet, so docile. And after all, she is in a lunatic asylum. Then how can she... The asylum, explained Monsieur de Lourtier, is made up of a number of separate buildings scattered over extensive grounds. The sort of cottage in which Hermans lives stands quite apart. There is first a room occupied by Felicien, then Hermans's bedroom and two separate rooms one of which has its windows overlooking the open country. I suppose it is there that she locks up her victims. But the carriage that conveys the dead bodies? The stables of the asylum are quite close to the cottage. There is a horse and carriage there for station work. Hermans no doubt gets up at night, harnesses the horse, and slips the body through the window. And the nurse who watches her? Felicien is very old and rather deaf. But by day she sees her mistress moving to and fro, doing this and that, must we not admit a certain complicity? Never. Felicien herself has been deceived by Hermance's hypocrisy. All the same, it was she who telephoned to Madame de Lourtier first about that advertisement. Very naturally. Hermance, who talks now and then, who argues, who buries herself in the newspapers which she does not understand, as you were saying just now, but reads through them attentively, must have seen the advertisement, and, having heard that we were looking for a servant, must have asked Felicien to ring me up. Yes, yes. That is what I felt, said Renine slowly. She marks down her victims. With Hortense dead, she would have known, once she had used up her allowance of sleep, where to find an eighth victim. But how did she entice the unfortunate women? 
How did she entice Hortense? The car was rushing along, but not fast enough to please Renin, who rated the chauffeur. Push her along, Adolphe, can't you? We're losing time, my man. Suddenly, the fear of arriving too late began to torture him. The logic of the insane is subject to sudden changes of mood, to any perilous idea that may enter the mind. The madwoman might easily mistake the date and hasten the catastrophe, like a clock out of order which strikes an hour too soon. On the other hand, as her sleep was once more disturbed, might she not be tempted to take action without waiting for the appointed moment? Was this not the reason why she had locked herself into her room? Heavens, what agonies her prisoner must be suffering! What shudders of terror at the executioner's least movement! Faster, Adolphe, or I'll take the wheel myself! Faster, hang it! At last they reached Ville d'Avray. There was a steep, sloping road on the right, and walls interrupted by a long railing. Drive round the grounds, Adolphe. We mustn't give warning of our presence, must we, Monsieur de Lourtier? Where's the cottage? Just opposite, said Monsieur de Lourtier Vanneau. They got out a little farther on. Renin began to run along a bank at the side of an ill-kept sunken road. It was almost dark. Monsieur de Lourtier said, Here, this building standing a little way back. Look at that window on the ground floor. It belongs to one of the separate rooms, and that is obviously how she sleeps out. But the window seems to be barred. Yes, and that is why no one suspected anything, but she must have found some way to get through. The ground floor was built over deep cellars. Renin quickly clambered up, finding a foothold on a projecting ledge of stone. Sure enough, one of the bars was missing. He pressed his face to the window pane and looked in. The room was dark inside. Nevertheless, he was able to distinguish at the back a woman seated beside another woman who was lying on a mattress. The woman seated was holding her forehead in her hands and gazing at the woman who was lying down. It's she, whispered Monsieur de Lourtier, who had also climbed the wall. The other one is bound. Renin took from his pocket a glazier's diamond and cut out one of the panes without making enough noise to arouse the madwoman's attention. He next slid his hand to the window fastening and turned it softly while with his left hand he leveled a revolver. "'You're not going to fire, surely,' Monsieur de Lourtier-Vanneau entreated. "'If I must, I shall.' Renin pushed open the window gently. But there was an obstacle of which he was not aware, a chair which toppled over and fell. He leapt into the room and threw away his revolver in order to seize the madwoman. But she did not wait for him. She rushed to the door, opened it and fled with a hoarse cry. Monsieur de Lourtier made as though to run after her. "'What's the use?' said Renin, kneeling down. "'Let's save the victim first. He was instantly reassured. Hortense was alive. The first thing that he did was to cut the cords and remove the gag that was stifling her. Attracted by the noise, the old nurse had hastened to the room with a lamp, which Renin took from her, casting its light on Hortense. He was astounded. Though livid and exhausted, with emaciated features and eyes blazing with fever, Hortense was trying to smile. She whispered, I was expecting you. I did not despair for a moment. I was sure of you. She fainted. An hour later, after much useless searching around the cottage, they found the madwoman, locked into a large cupboard in the loft. She had hanged herself. Hortense refused to stay another night. Besides, it was better that the cottage should be empty when the old nurse announced the madwoman's suicide. Renin gave Felicienne minute directions as to what she should do and say, and then, assisted by the chauffeur and Monsieur de Lourtier, carried Hortense to the car and brought her home.
she was soon convalescent. Two days later, Renin carefully questioned her and asked her how she had come to know the madwoman. It was very simple, she said. My husband, who is not quite sane, as I have told you, is being looked after at Ville d'Avray, and I sometimes go to see him, without telling anybody, I admit. That was how I came to speak to that poor madwoman, and how, the other day, she made signs that she wanted me to visit her. We were alone. I went into the cottage. She threw herself upon me and overpowered me before I had time to cry for help. I thought it was a jest, and so it was, wasn't it? A madwoman's jest? She was quite gentle with me. All the same, she let me starve. But I was so sure of you. And weren't you frightened? Of starving? No. Besides, she gave me some food now and then, when the fancy took her. And then I was sure of you. Yes, but there was something else, that other peril. What other peril? she asked ingenuously. Henin gave a start. He suddenly understood. It seemed strange at first, though it was quite natural, that Hortense had not for a moment suspected, and did not yet suspect the terrible danger which she had run. Her mind had not connected with her own adventure the murders committed by the lady with the hatchet. He thought that it would always be time enough to tell her the truth. For that matter, a few days later her husband, who had been locked up for years, died in the asylum at Ville d'Avray, and Hortense, who had been recommended by her doctor a short period of rest and solitude, went to stay with a relation living near the village of Bascourt, in the centre of France. End of chapter 6, part 2